James chapter 1. Again, last week we started there in the first verse. We saw that James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, penned this epistle as he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God. We saw how that James, during the life and ministry of Jesus, was a skeptic. And yet after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was a convert. And he was in that upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon him and then became a leader, a pillar in the early church there. We saw that James identified himself as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw scripturally that when we put our faith in Jesus as Lord, that implies that we're his servants. Now, we're more than his servants. We're children. We're adopted sons and daughters, but we're called to be servants of the Lord. And we talked about that and, you know, what that means and so forth. It's not a serving him to save ourselves. We've already been saved by him, but we're saved under good works. And listen, a life lived for Christ is in part a life lived serving the Lord. And there's great joy and fulfillment, eternal reward and so forth found in that. And then we also saw that uh, this letter, uh, this divinely inspired letter was written for, for all believers, all followers of Christ, but originally it was penned to the early church. And that early church mainly consisted of Jewish believers, that remnant that put their faith in Jesus Christ. Most believe this was the first book written in the New Testament, probably around 45 to 50 AD. And we saw here at the end of first verse, the first verse that it was written to the 12 tribes, it's the 12 tribes of Israel that were scattered abroad to uh, the early church, again, that was under great persecution. And with persecution comes fire, with persecution comes trials and tribulation. And this church was experiencing trials and tribulations. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to see this morning that we too are going to experience trials and tribulations. And James even uses, again, this scattering of them, and we're going to start by talking about that scattering, which was a trial. He uses this morning here and in this epistle, the springboard, into the first thing he talks about. Because no doubt in this scattering, this was the buzz, man, we're going through this trial, we're going through this tribulation, and James dives right into the deep end, so to speak, and he begins to address the issue of trials, that we are going to have various trials. We are told we are going to have them, but he encourages them to count it all joy when you fall into these things. And we're going to talk about how God has, again, told us we're going to have trials. He told us to count it all joy when we are having these trials. But I think most importantly, practically, he instructs us to count it all joy Knowing God is using those things for good versus going with what we feel. Because part of the reason it's a trial is it doesn't feel good, right? And have you ever been in a trial and you go with what you feel versus what you know biblically? When we go with what we feel, it doesn't produce joy, it doesn't produce fruit, it doesn't produce growth. But when we say, I want to stand in what I know that God told me I'm going to have these things and he's going to use it for good. Indeed, he does versus a repeat trial to say we're going to try this again. So this is very applicable to our lives. Wonderful things here for us. Let's read verses 1 through 4 and dive right into it. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you, may be com- that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now again, we finished last week talking about this, but let's go back to it. Again, he writes to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Notice he doesn't say to the 12 tribes which are lost, the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel has never been lost. Some people want to say that it's been lost, but it hasn't been lost at all. He's writing here to, to kind of two different groups that were the same, that were one in Christ. But as we read through the Old Testament, we see there were two different times when God took his people into captivity. We see that there was a time probably about 700 years before the coming of Christ, 600, 600 700 years before the coming of Christ, where the tribes of Israel in the north that were oftentimes referred to as Samaria, that region was called that, they were in rebellion against God. I'm reading Hosea right now in my devotions, and it says, Ephraim has given herself to idols, let her alone. They were in rebellion against the Lord. Ephraim oftentimes represents those tribes that are in the north. 
And God, to get their attention, chastised them by allowing the Assyrians to come down and take them out of that land into captivity. But God didn't forsake them in that. And then we know Judah, instead of learning from that, and God advised them to learn from that, continued in rebellion as well. And we know it was about 100 years or so later that the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar came and took Judah into captivity for about 70 years. And God used that again to chastise them. And in fact, he said when they were going into captivity, I know the plans I have for you, not to destroy you, but they're plans of peace to give you a future and a hope. You know that verse is given in the midst of entering into a trial. And God used that to redirect their focus back to him. And then they came back into the land. And when they came back, listen, there were men and women from all those tribes that came back as well. And yet many of them still stayed scattered. You look at Esther and Mordecai in the book of Esther. They didn't come back to Jerusalem. They stayed where they were. And God used them mightily where they were. So many stayed out and many didn't come back. In fact, you even look at those that first came back to Jerusalem and Ezra and Nehemiah. It's actually just a small remnant. And so James, in part, is writing to them because many of those individuals that were out there, there was a remnant of those that were scattered from that captivity that had come to faith in Jesus Christ very early on in the church. We read there in the Gospels after, you know what, Christ died and he began to appear to the apostles, the disciples after his resurrection. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait on high for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we read there on Pentecost, about 40 days after the resurrection, they were waiting there in the upper room, about 120. They were waiting with one accord, and we know that the Holy Spirit powerfully fell upon them, and they began to speak in other tongues. And they spoke in these other tongues because at Pentecost, these Jews who'd been scattered to all these different nations, many of them did not speak Hebrew, and they were gathered there at Pentecost to worship the Lord. And God wanted to get them the gospel. Well, the Galileans in that upper room, it was a majority of Galileans, they didn't, they didn't grow up listening to Rosetta Stone CDs. They, 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 they didn't know those other languages. So God, and listen, never limit God. God is interested in getting the gospel out. They filled the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues. And in Acts 2, 5, it says... And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And some people said, they're drunk. What's wrong with these guys? But others heard the gospel and they put faith in Jesus. And in one day, the church went from 120 to 3,000. And it says, God added to the church daily. And those individuals, when they left Jerusalem, they went back to those nations, they took the gospel with them. And so they were part of those 12 tribes scattered that were believers in Christ. And again, this was, at the time James wrote this, the bulk of the church were these early Hebrew, uh, Israeli, Jewish believers. We also know that the Lord gave the, the great commission after his resurrection. He said, take the gospel into all the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that group that was there in Jerusalem, they were rejoicing in the Lord. God was doing mighty things in their midst. He was doing wonderful things in their midst. But they really weren't taking the gospel much farther than the borders of Jerusalem. And what did God do? He began to allow persecution to come their way. We read in Acts 5.40, uh, John and Peter had been preaching the gospel. A man at Gate Beautiful had who'd been there begging all his life in a, in, a, in, a, in a handicapped state. He got healed and he was giving praise to the Lord. And this greatly upset the Pharisees and so forth. They were, you know, hating haters of Jesus Christ. And they basically called him in and said, you can't preach this anymore. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. And in Acts 5.40 it says, uh, when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And notice these guys responsibly departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They had said, what should we do? Listen to you or God. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. They, 
they praise God in that. And it's interesting here in James, he's saying rejoice when you go through trials. And we're going to look at a lot of verses today that talk about trials and tribulations. And you're always seeing joy associated with it and God using it for good and the call to know that associated with trials. We know soon after this, there was a man named Stephen who was a deacon who waited tables and God was raising up to be a mighty evangelist. And Acts 7, he teaches and preaches the longest sermon in the New Testament, which was to these, these individuals, these Jewish uh, uh, religious folks that were rejecting the gospel. And, and Stephen just called them out and called them to repentance. And in Acts 7, 57, it says, and they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Listen, good preaching is always accompanied by an element that stops their ears and says, we want to put an end to this now. And there was some good preaching going on there. And it says, and witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would one day become the Apostle Paul. And amazingly, God not only used Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament outside of the gospel and established churches all over Asia Minor there, before he even came to faith in the Lord, God used him as an instrument to begin to persecute the church that they would be scattered and take the gospel out. In fact, in the very next chapter, right after this, in Acts 8.1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all, notice here, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And who's James writing to? The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. They were forced out. Now listen, I think more than ever, there's incredible application to us in this day that we are living in. Jesus was asked by his apostles, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And he talks about deception over and over again. And you know, turmoil on the earth, the love of many growing cold, and, 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 and all these things we see in the world today. And he also said, though, in Matthew 24, 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Luke 21, 17, in the same message, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost, and by your patience possess your souls. And we see this growing hatred and animosity against the things of God and the word of God and with that the people of God people that say I want to follow Jesus and I want to follow his word more and more we're seeing biblical truth being deemed as hate speech just scriptures being read saying that's hate speech you can't say that and we see more and more of that even moving into an area where there's an element wanting to criminalize that. We see the name of Jesus Christ being a great offense, except when it's used in vain or thrown out as some sort of curse word. You don't find that about the name of Buddha and Muhammad and the Dalai Lama and so forth. But the name of Jesus Christ is a great offense. You can pray any name but the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of Jesus has power. We see public prayer becoming a crime. We see... The ordinances of God given to man in Genesis being forsaken. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And today they say, listen, take your baby's life in your womb. You'll have a better life. Praise God, we have a God who heals and restores and forgives. But we see an abandonment of the ordinances of God. His commandments of marriage, one man and one woman being abandoned. And even... Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female, and now it's like, well, it doesn't matter what God's word says and what real science teaches, you can go with what you feel. And that's a hostility against God. That's hostility against the word of God. That's rebellion against God. And we see this increasing amount of hatred towards the word of God against God and the people of God. But listen, God uses this for good. Romans 8, 28, and we know, and we're going to see this word know and knowing over and over again. We know that all things work together for good for those, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. In the early church there, God had said, go out, and they didn't. And God wanted walk, them walking in obedience, so he said, if you're not going to go out, I'm going to get you out. 
And he brought a fire that forced them out. And as they were forced out, God looked out for them. God went before them. And what happened? The gospel went out. And before you knew it, there were Gentiles all over the place getting born again. And the Roman Empire got revived. Millions upon millions came to faith in Jesus Christ. And God used that trial to get them out. Amazingly and awesomely, we're given the same promise about the days we're living in now. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9, again, we read it, but it says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Notice here, all nations, including this nation, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Listen, the gospel's an offense. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and boy, we're in the midst of that. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And then notice verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, then the end will come. And that's happening right now. I've talked about this oftentimes. It's, it's, it can be clearly documented that the greatest revivals happening in the world is where the most intense persecution is taking place against the church. Under the last number of years, people have prayed for the 1040 window, that that part of the window there on the map where there's the greatest amount of persecution. And you've heard these people say, we're going to reach them all through satellite television and talk, them how, talk about how they be so prosperous in this life. And how's that 1040 window getting preached? Through people coming to Jesus Christ, predominantly through Jesus Christ, meeting them where they're at. And as they're being taken out and being beheaded, these other people who have found what they're putting their faith in is bankrupt. They're saying, I want what they have. They have something worth dying for. And there's millions of people coming to Christ in those areas. God's using it for good. And listen, I'm not prophesying in here, but again, he says, you'll be hated by all nations. And as I look at this biblically, as we see this hatred continuing in this country, and listen, there, there could be a reprieve. There could be a revival I think if there is, it will be a temporary because the Lord's word is going to come true, but it could be the greatest gift to this nation, even to the body of Christ, of having to be dependent upon him for every breath. And he used that for good. He's using this for good. Now, considering all of that, again, James, knowing they're in the midst of these trials, they're in the midst of counting this, they're in the midst of probably even wrestling with this. James Springsboard right into talking about it to give them encouragement in these trials through this scattering right off the bat. Verse 2, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Notice, my brethren, he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to those that have acknowledged that they are in sin and rebellion against God under the wrath of God and who have put their faith in Jesus Christ to be their Lord. They've turned from what their faith was in to put their faith in Jesus, acknowledging Christ on the cross, dying for them, taking the wrath through them on the cross, acknowledging Christ's resurrection and defeating sin, death, and Satan, and saying, Jesus, I want to accept your death on my behalf. I want to put my faith in you to be my Lord as we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus today, that's the good news. Listen, we're going to give an account for our lives, and we'll all be found wanting in and of ourselves. But in Christ, we are washed and cleansed. And we go from being under a law that condemns us to being under grace, being forgiven and washed. And that's good news. And that's who he's writing to. And he says, my brother, count it all joy. Now think about this. To count, it means to take into account or to think. And who counts in the midst of trials? All of us do. God oftentimes uses trials to get our attention, to make us step back and take inventory of our life. I mean, when you go to the gym and you're under the, uh, under the bench press there, you know, we count, don't we? We're counting, I got to do 10 of these and I can't wait to get to 10 so I can put this thing down. Let me ask you, when you're eating donuts, do you count? <laughs> That's 10 bites. I did that one in 11 bites. I'm, I'm going for nine for the next one. We, we don't. So he says, count it. All joy because, again, God knows, listen, trials are painful. Trials are difficult. They make us step back and take inventory, and we, we start counting things. And he says, when you're doing that, when you're in a trial and you're counting, count it all joy. Think on this trial with joy. Now, in a second, we'll look at why and how, but all joy implies 
rejoicing in the midst of it versus counting it as all awful. Anyone ever do that in a trial? This is horrific. This is awful. Counting it all unfair. This is unfair. Have you ever been in a trial and said, this is unfair? I don't know what this is, but it's unfair. Counted a reason to quit. Are we counted a reason to be angry at God and others? Are we counted a reason for self-pity and so forth? We are told to count it all joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Now this does not mean that there won't be pain and tears and sorrow and grief and a grieved heart and at times righteous anger even in a trial. In fact, listen, if those things aren't there, it's really not even a trial, right? And we look at the life of Jesus, and Jesus, listen, he fulfilled the law and everything he did. He honored the Father, and it's, it's the will of God for us to rejoice always. Jesus rejoiced always. There was always a joy in the Lord. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Going to the cross of Calvary, Jesus had a joy in his heart because he knew something. He knew that you would come to faith in him one day and be saved and spend eternity with him. And so, though he knew he was going to come under the wrath of the Father, there was a joy because he was filling, fulfilling the will of the Father, being obedient to the Father, and because he loves you. And yet, throughout the Lord's ministry, we see that he was a man of many sorrows. When Jews were rejecting his gospel there in Mark 3, 5, it says, when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And it talks about him healing someone. Luke 19, 41, as he drew near, talking about Jerusalem, and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over the hardness of their heart and the rejection of him. And Matthew 26, 38, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that night he'd be betrayed and go through this unlawful trial and be crucified. As he said to, to Peter, uh, John, and James, a different James than this, James the Apostle. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So his soul was exceedingly sorrowful while at the same time he was full of joy. And absolutely God has made us to be able to have both those things at the same time. Just as you have a coin with a head and it tells. And in trials there's grieving, there's pain. But absolutely we can have joy in the midst of that. Again, knowing. Standing in truth. Now before we get to that, notice what he says. My brother counted all joy. And notice this is a key word in this. When you fall into various trials. It doesn't say if you fall into various trials. Or you might fall into various trials. <clears throat> hey, just a warning. Listen, you might fall into a trial. Or he says when you fall into various trials. This is an established truth. And we see this throughout God's word. I'm barely scratching the surface of verses. Jesus Christ said in John 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And notice, almost every time you see trials, you see, but be of good cheer. Have peace because know something. Know I've overcome the world. Acts 14, 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Now, we go, do we go through tribulations to save us? No. We're already saved through Christ's death and resurrection, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Him alone. Jesus took care of the sin issue that damned us. It's in Him and Him alone. We're not co-redeemers. So why do we go through tribulation? Not to save us, but to shape us. Remember he says in his word, it says in Philippians, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Think of work, think of working out. He's doing a work in us practically, and he does that by working things out in our life. And part of that is when we get saved, we get a paid and full membership to the Lord's gym. Where he says, I'm going to take you in here and we're going to work things out of your life. We're going to refine you. We're going to teach you patience. We're going to teach you perseverance. We're going to teach you character. We're going to teach you to wait on me. We're going to teach you to walk by faith and not by sight. And to be dependent upon the Lord. 
John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, no, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out uh, of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor- remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do for my namesake because they do not know him who sent me. And listen, this isn't our home. There's an antichrist spirit in this age. It's under the sway of the wicked one. There's a resistance to the things of the Lord. In fact, sometimes a good litmus test of, of our theology and of our gospel and so forth is, is the world approving of it and receiving it and applauding it? Or is it something that they are resisting? The Bible says the world loves its own. And there's certain individuals in the world that, that profess to be Christians, and I don't know their heart, but their message is fishy and isn't sound at all. And you see the world celebrating these characters. Versus saying we resist that because we don't receive that in our thinking. Listen, when you follow Christ, you're going to go against the grain of a fallen world. You're going to go against the grain of the enemy. In fact, we even go against the grain of our own flesh that wars against our soul. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. And then 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Well, boy, a trial comes along and we're like, what's this strange thing that has befallen upon me? And instead of saying, oh, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I get to partake of the sufferings of Christ, and I know that out of this there's glorious things that are going to come, how oftentimes do we go, what's this strange thing that has befallen me? It's not fair, and it will be to my demise and to the ruin of me. That's how the flesh thinks. God says, don't think that way. That takes a step of faith, doesn't it? And that God's word, it's full of accounts of men and women going through trials. It's a book of trials. Man rebels in the garden after God says, don't eat of that tree. And he says, I want to be my own God. I want to obtain Godhead. I want to be a deity and I want it now. He came under a curse. Death set in. There's the first marital issue there and Genesis 3, when Adam says, it's this woman who you made, and then their kids start warring, and the next thing you know, a world comes forth where there's a remnant of believers, but the majority of them, they're inventors of evil, gods and none of their thoughts, and the Lord finds Noah, a man of faith, and says, we, we got to do something about this. Let me ask, can anyone in this room who knows and loves the Lord attest to or bear witness to the fact that we experience trials as Christians that are different and more weighty than what we experienced before we came to Christ. I know that I can. Listen, before I came to him, I was another lost soul in a fallen world. Now I am in a place of fighting the good fight in the midst of much opposition. Opposition from Satan, the world, my own flesh. On top of that, I have God who wants to grow me. So he says, I'm taking you to my gym. And listen, everyone in this world is going to have trials. It's a fallen world. When man ate of that tree, death set in. Stuff gets broken and there's pain and there's sorrow and there's death. God's not a liar. He said, if you rebel against me, it's going to be there. But when you become a follower of Christ, there's even an intensifying of it. But the good news again is God is using it for good. Now notice also what he says. Count it all joy uh, when you fall into various trials. So this implies there's no avoiding it. You're going to fall into them. There's no getting around them. And he says, there's various trials. Boy, and isn't that true? They come in all kinds of flavors, right? It's like Baskin and Robbins when you follow Jesus. Listen, all these different flavors. Trials of correction, trials of perfection, small trials, medium trials, large trials, jumbo trials, physical trials, mental trials, spiritual trials, marital problems at times, and trials, relational problem, trials, 
personal trials. I mean, this goes on and on and on and on. She says again, count it all joy, my, count it, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now here comes the key, knowing versus feeling. Knowing that they produce good things. I saw my wife give birth to four kids. It looked incredibly painful. Horrifically painful. It's like, I mean, you think about it. There's a human being in you that's about to come out. And you think about it, you know, they they have one kid and, and all this pain, and yet what drives them to have another? Because when that little baby's taken and cleaned off and swaddled and put in their, their, their arms and so forth, there's few joys in the world that compare to it, right? And it's for that joy set before them of a little life that's going to come into this world that's going to be a blessing that, that we get to look out for and provide for and tend to all these needs from the time of their birth to 18 to somewhere in their late 50s. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. (laughs) And in the midst of it, we got to stand in what we know is true versus what we feel. Again, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 5, 3, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we need to know in the midst of trials. I know God is going before me. I know God is using this for good. I know God is shaping my character in this. I know God will be glorified. I know the Lord is with me versus my feeling. I want out of this now. Where is the exit? And again here, knowing the testing of your faith. Testing, it's it's, it's compared to a trial, it's compared to a fire, a refiner's fire the Bible talks about. Where you take gold or silver and you put it through that fire to refine it, to get impurities out of it for a, a, a more weighty and useful metal. And again, positionally, we are purified. We're washed by the blood of Jesus. But practically, God says, we're going to sanctify you. His plan is to grow us in him, to increase our faith, to increase our relationship with him, to... to to be a people walking in power, a people growing in character. And he says, for this to happen, we're going to the gym, to the Lord's gym. And he says, listen, let's get you in the word of God over here. Let's get you in prayer. Let's get you in fellowship, worshiping. Let's get you witnessing. And now we're going to take you down the gauntlet here called, called, called you know, at the, the treadmill of trials or whatever you want to call it. Job said in the midst of his trial, Job 23.10, But he knows the way that I take when he has tested me. I shall come forth as gold. And how many times in the midst of the trials we say, man, I can relate to Job right now. Had those boils scraping them with broken pottery, the things that had happened to his family. But Job said, listen, I know I'm going to come forth as gold. Now, some of those verses and chapters, he's going with what he feels. But here he's going in what he knows. We know that trials produce good things. James here focuses on patience. Again, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. We're impatient. Our flesh wants things now. Immature people want things now. Baby, babies want things now. That's why they scream. I want milk now. I want to be held now. I want to be entertained now. I want my binky Now, I need to be changed now. You're like, yes, you do, mom. No. (laughs) In fact, in part, though Jesus used this for good, many men wanting a kingdom now to enjoy temporarily versus an eternal kingdom was in part what put Christ on the cross. The Jews that rejected Christ, they wanted a kingdom now to go conquer Rome so that they could rule and reign here on earth. And Jesus said, I got a better plan. I got an eternal kingdom for you. John 18, 36, Jesus said, 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. The Lord says, listen, I got a better plan. The part of our fallen nature causes us to race ahead of God, put faith in our own ability, trust in our own plan, which again often leads us to trampling other, over others and the word of God to obtain what we need right now. And God wants to bring what he has for us in his timing. Because along the way, he's doing a mighty work in us. He's teaching us to rely on him, to have faith in him, to do things his way. And we need patience. These trials help to produce patience, which brings forth good things. Some verses, James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it. Until it receives the early and latter rain, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And listen, it's a blessing that a farmer has land to go till and plant crop in. But he has to wait patiently. Think about a farmer tilling the ground and planting the seeds in this field, this gift that God has given to him, the seed that he's given to him, the rain he gives to him, and so forth, and then saying, man, I can't take this anymore. You know what? All the plants are about this high. I got to go start yanking them up to find some, you know what, some life on these things. Is that going to be to as good? No, he knows I got to wait. I want to wait for the fullness of this crop to come in versus getting ahead. And listen, if he starts yanking stuff, guess what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to plant it again and go through that trial again. He has to wait in faith, really. And God wants to teach us to wait in faith on him to do things his way versus our own way. And God uses trials to help shape us. Throughout the word of God, when you see men and women racing ahead of God, it's always to their detriment. And when they wait patiently and you look at these individuals, listen, Jacob's name wasn't changed to Israel overnight, was it? The hill catcher became the prince of God, and he still caught some hills after he got his name changed, but it went through a whole lot of stuff. Remember that night he wrestled with the Lord, and the Lord dislocated his hip, and he just finally held on to God, the Lord, and he said, I won't let go until you bless me. I want to cleave to you versus cleaving to my own methodology over here, my own deception, my own conniving. And he went through a lot of trials, and God was faithful in those things. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God wants us to know he's using this to give me patience. He's using this to bring forth a perfect work, that I may be complete and lacking nothing. Notice but it, what it says here, but let. And you can go through trials and say, I'm not going to let God do anything here. And instead of counting it joy and standing in what you know, we count it unfair, we count it as wrong, and we resist, we complain, we avoid the things, the things of God, worldly pursuits, and so forth. And listen, it's not to our good, it's to our detriment. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. No, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And I think that implies, and the scripture talks about Vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. I think it implies this, and you can have faith on the Lord, but say, but I don't want to live godly for him because I don't want to get through these trials. Listen, I know there's a Lord's gym, but I don't want to be part of that. I want to be over here, so I'll take no steps of faith. I don't want to pursue him daily. I, I just want to be saved and do my own thing, and there might be some temporary comfort and kudos and reward in that, but listen, Jesus talks about standing before him and saying, you wicked and lazy servant. Listen, that's the words of Jesus. He wants us to walk an abundant life, and that's found in the fire with Christ. Not resisting and running. And I'll tell you, in that process, when we don't rejoice and we resist, God will say, okay, we'll go through this trial again. You ever go through a similar trial over and over and over again? 1 Peter 1, 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But notice here, if need be. And I have learned and I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to practice when trials come my way instead of beginning to kick rocks and complain and say, no, why? You know, as the camera pans up and I'm down here, why? Saying, Lord, okay, it's a fire trial. Teach me something. Get this out of me, what you want. Get, get and gotten out of me. Do what you want, Lord. Let's burn away the wood, hay, and stubble so there can be some gold, silver, and precious stones left. I think, though, biblically, and I see it practically, without judging hearts but looking at fruit, it seems that you can be a Christian that keeps resisting and keeps complaining, and you come to a place where you just get shelved. And you get put in the Laodicean nursery for immature vessels of dishonor. Think about what Jesus said in Luke 13, 6. It says he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up ground? But he answered and said, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. That sounds like a trial to me, doesn't it? Something stinks. Getting dug up around. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. It's a tree. It's, it's planted there. It's not bearing fruit. It's like this has gone on for a while. Let's Dig around it and fertilize it again. And if, if it doesn't bear fruit, then we're going to just put it over here. And again, our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Him alone. But you see in the Word of God, again, the steward that buried his talent. You see the son who obeyed and the one that disobeyed. They were still both sons of the Father, vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. And it's a sad thing when you run into someone that's been saved 10, 20, 30 years and they're, they're, they're immature in their faith and they grumble and they complain and everything they do and it's just like a, a powerless, you know what, display of just, just uh, of, 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 of fruitlessness. And again in that we need to first examine ourselves and I'm not encouraging you first to go around and start saying, well I'm going to put an order together. This is, the Bible talks about this. He brings these trials to want to work out a work in us, again, that we may be perfect, complete, lacking, nothing. And when trials come along, and if we kick rocks, resist God, complain, try to hide from any type of step of faith to avoid any type of spiritual trial, we're going to lack abundant life. Listen, abundant life is found in the fire with Jesus Christ. Embracing that and saying, let me be about my master's business. Let me be out serving the Lord. You want an adventurous life? Get following the Lord. Take steps of faith. You want a wasted life? Then shun all that. And don't take a biblical perspective and go with what you feel versus what you know. God's word is true, is it not? Can we say amen to that? Does God lie? Again, I'm scratching the surface. Trials rejoice, no. You're going to have trials rejoice, no. God's using them for good. Even the ones that hurt so bad. And boy, some of them do, don't they? But if we learn to draw near to him in those trials, we learn to get in his word, we learn to call it in prayer, we learn to rely on him. Listen, we really get to know him. Again, Jacob that night, he wrestled with the Lord, man. You talk about getting to know the Lord? Does he wrestle with the Lord all night? Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in that fire with the Lord as everyone watching, ready to see them get burned to a crisp. And they're in there with the Lord in the fire. At that time, at that point in the world, would there be any any better place to be on the earth than in that fire with the Lord? There's no way. As Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and said, wait, we threw in three. Why do I see four? And the fourth looks like the Son of God. Think about Jeremiah and the mire. David in the exile. They were so close with the Lord in that. 
walking in what they knew. Close with these last few verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then finally, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Because again, he saw the fruit of what was coming out of walking with the Lord. You read about Paul and all of those things he went through, but he says, listen, in going through this, I'm seeing people get born again. I'm rejoicing. I, I, bold, I have bold speech concerning you. I boast on your behalf because you've come through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I rejoice in all of this. It's worth it. It's worth it that souls have been saved and they've been snatched out of the out of the, the, the flames of hell and brought into salvation in Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, and Him alone, and they will spend eternity with the God of heaven. And I rejoice in it. And I rejoice in what I know is true. And boy, if anyone could have ever looked at what they were going through and say, it's not fair. Man, you, you ever read this guy's testimony? Oh my goodness. He speaks truth, does he not? Can we say amen to that? Let's stand up and close in prayer right now. Oh Lord, we desperately need your help in this. God, we're in a battle every day. My flesh resists trials. My flesh does not want to be persecuted. It does not want to be thrown into a fire. My person wants to resist that. And I think that's true about all of us. And boy, it's so easy to go with what we feel. Let us stand with what we know. I hope and pray, Lord, our faith has grown today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Grant us grace that, Lord, our faith has grown today. Help us, Lord. Not to shun and run from trials, run from steps of faith. And please, Lord, help us to take our thoughts captive in the midst of trials to stand on what we know is true so we can count them all joy knowing you are doing a work. You're producing something. It's not in vain. If you're here and you haven't called upon Christ, you've heard the gospel. And maybe some of you are like, what good news is this? Trials, listen, the good news is that Jesus made a way for you to be forgiven and washed. And God wants to do a work in your life. And God wants to have this personal relationship with you to save your soul and to even heap eternal rewards on you. And you may say, but I like the temporary pleasures. But listen, it ends in a second death under the wrath of God, under eternal damnation. Those are the words. That's the teaching of Jesus Christ. Again, the best place to be in the world is in the fire with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, call on him today. The scriptures say, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love it, whoever. doesn't matter what you brought in here, what your background is, what you've done. Call upon him and he will wash you and cleanse you. But call on him in faith. And it's a faith in him to be your Lord. It's saying, Jesus, I turn from this I'm a mess. I put my faith in you, though, Lord, to save me and do a work in me. And listen, he will do that work. Let us worship you, God. Let us lift our voices to you right now. Let us finish well in this time here right now, giving glory to our God. and <clears throat> Continue to bless our fellowship, Lord, this morning. Let's praise our God. Your tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. I 
That has a lot of meaning when you look at what we looked at, doesn't it? <laughs> That's worshiping God in spirit and truth. Hey, I want to invite some prayer counselors to come up. If you need prayer, I invite you to come up this morning. Pray with someone, you know, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you gave your life to the Lord today, I want to encourage you to come up. We want to pray with you. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Listen, there's food out there. Be blessed this morning. And have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.